Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Alone Together. Today we're going to be talking about beauty, specifically unseen beauty, that which is ignored or hidden. I think right now, more than any other time, reflecting on beauty and appreciating the obscure is essential. There are a multitude of things which commonly exist that are quite frankly exceptional, but we don't realize that because we're either so immune to being amazed by common little things or just haven't taken the time to fall in love with the small facet of humanity. So that is why we're here today, to talk about two things each which amaze us. Two things which aren't necessarily universally acclaimed or spicy hot topics, but rather two ordinary, maybe boring, perhaps lame, likely nerdy, but potentially beautiful things. So that being said, let's just get into it. Nina, what is beautiful to you? I think I would like to define beauty first by what beauty isn't. So to me, beauty isn't this definition which can be contained by words or language all neatly found in the Oxford Dictionary. It's just so abstract in that everyone has their own notion of beauty. It's kind of like asking, you know, what is X or what is love? So I think in Hindu philosophy, actually, there is this non-dualistic Advaitic beauty, this idea of beauty where basically there is no opposite of beauty, where beauty alone just is. It's independent and all-encompassing, where everything is beautiful. There is nothing that is not beautiful, essentially. Everyone thinks their partner is beautiful or their mother is beautiful. And that's how I think is one idea or definition of beauty that I subscribe to. And... So that brings me to my current understanding of beauty, which is that for me personally, it's more like a reaction, this instinctual reaction of literally stopping and staring or stopping and thinking in the case of unseen beauty. Time slows down, nothing else matters for those few seconds. All your thoughts are just on that thing, which is so, so beautiful. What about you, Sarah? How do you see beauty? I know that was a very artistic um, idea of my, my idea of beauty, but what about you? So I know this may sound a little bit weird, but falling in love with physics was how I found my definition of beauty. I think I fell in love with physics the way a poet falls in love with poetry. You know, I never saw it as equations or strict laws, but rather the way Shakespeare spoke of beauty in his many works. Beauty is in what is hidden, and it was something only you had the eyes for. And I saw this story of energy, light, matter, and space ongoing for billions of years, and I marveled at it. I mean, of course, mathematically speaking, symmetry and other fun geometric things all contribute to aesthetics and proportion. However, I think I found my definition of beauty from all the scientific peculiarities I came to love. You know... Maybe the whole world couldn't see its elegance, but I could. Not to say that I'm particularly talented in either, but more so, I just found them beautiful. But yeah, that being said, I think we should get into your first Unseen Beauty, Nina. So would you like to talk about it? Yeah, so recently, actually, I was listening to this Planet Money podcast about ventilators and there was this interview with Dr. Nick Mark, who's a pulmonologist, and he was talking about how he could wax poetic about the lungs. And that kind of got me thinking about the unseen beauty of our body, quite literally, where we can't see the inside of our body. But in fact, it is so beautiful. So Dr. Nick Mark, he talked about 
our lungs as these exquisite machines, like these containers of air that just blow life-giving oxygen into the blood through a thin wall, this membrane, and how it's so elegant, and the membrane is so thin and delicate, and it's this thinness of our lung walls that let them expand and contract. And I don't know, just the way that he was talking about the lungs, it's like the way that I would talk about this beautiful person that I've met or something like that. And just the idea of our lungs and our bodies being so beautiful is is something new to me because whenever I think about the human body, I just get these like grotesque images of like Grey's Anatomy and how they show the lungs and all these like different parts of our body all bloody and raw and fleshy and and no, that's not necessarily the case. And another example I thought of was um, I, I used to go to this ophthalmologist um, in Delhi, Dr. Naveen Sakuja, and the way that he, he was an artist and he was also a doctor. So he would take pictures of our eyes, obviously for obvious reasons, scans to show like, oh, you have macular degeneration, this and that. But what he did with those scans later is he would blow them up and he would play around a little bit with it, not edit it heavily or anything, but just play around with the colors. And he ended up creating this beautiful gallery that you can, if you search him online, you can see some of his art. It's literally the human eyeball, and we cannot see how beautiful it is because, again, it's quite literally our eyes that we cannot see inside inside of them. But it is so stunning to see the veins and the colors and these spots that that you know is is our body that we can't see. Um, and just last year also, I was I was at the MoMA and. Um, there was this exhibition on pregnancy. And when you think about pregnancy, you think about like the mother's stomach like expanding and there's this life inside of you and you know you can feel it, but you can't really see it as much as you can just see from the outside. You have a couple of scans here and there, but you can't really see the amazing changes that go on within you. And that is what this photographer aimed to capture, where he would show how this little cell grows into this fetus and um, and the photography exhibition was absolutely beautiful. I spent hours just looking at all the pictures of all these different women and the changes that were going inside their bodies. And it stayed with me. Even today, I remember that exhibition and I've taken pictures of those pictures. So that's an idea of unseen beauty, which is our bodies, like the inside workings of our bodies and how beautiful our lungs and our eyes and our uteruses can be um what about you sarah i know that you wanted to talk about something that is more mathematical so how about you tell everyone else about what you told me about the radio absolutely um i also just want to say that that was like such a perfect um like definition of who you are in a way like it's it's it was an intersection of so many things and I feel like that's where you blossom but anyway moving on um something which I still can't process that is real is something that is so ubiquitous and so old and it's the idea of radio communication so I think you know on the surface everybody has like somewhat of a rudimentary understanding of it like there's a transmitter and a receiver and they both have antennae and like oh your music starts playing but um if you think about it, it actually gets a little bit insane. So basically the two primary things you need for radio communication are a transmitter and a receiver. And essentially all that happens is that information is sent from the transmitter and received by the receiver. Pretty simple. Um, so basically what happens is that the transmitter takes data, which could be like a song, and makes it or encodes it into a sine wave or just 
a, a wave that goes up and down continuously. Um, and then the receiver receives this, decodes it, and you can like listen to your song, for example. So again, this sounds pretty simple, but here's the thing. Between the two, between getting the information from one place to another is just a sine wave. Something we can't see or touch th traveling through the air, carrying information. Like, let that sink in for a minute. Information is traveling through an oscillating wave in the air. That's kind of really crazy when you put it that way. But I do have a question. How does this wave that you're talking about have information in it? I'm a bit confused. That's fair. I still don't get it, but um, I think that's to do with something called modulation, which is a kind of not really fancy word, which basically means by changing different things about the wave, you can send different information. So if everyone can imagine a sine wave, that would be great. But if you can't, that's fine. As I said before, just imagine a wave that goes up and down, up and down and up and down. Um, every wave, whether it be a sound wave or like this is a radio wave, which is an electromagnetic wave, um, they have certain characteristics. And by changing that, as I said, um, the information you send changes differently. So for example, this is a tiny fun experiment you can do. If you have a nine volt battery, any copper source like a penny and a radio which you can tune to a static channel, um, you can actually understand this idea of sending information. So basically what you can do is you can tap the penny onto the two um, terminals of the battery and whatever rhythm you decide to tap to, whether it be, you know, staying alive by the Bee Gees, um, the static channel at the radio will pick up on that and start to kind of play that. And that's like you're changing something about the wave when you're doing that because when the penny is touching the terminals, it's like on and there's a peak because there's some contact between the two. And when you take the penny away, you remove it from the battery, it's like off. So this is something called pulse modulation and it's exactly like an on-off switch. When there's contact, it's on, there's a wave, there's a beat. And when you remove it, it's off, there's no beat. Um, and this was kind of how like Morse code was sent back in the old days. Um, I don't know any. You can also vary the amplitude, but you can also vary the frequency. And that's pretty cool. Frequency literally just means how many peaks of the wave you can fit in a single second. So depending on um, the nature of the wave, um, the frequency will be different and the information will be different. So when you listen to the radio and the channel is like 94.3 FM, that means 94.3 megahertz. And that means, because mega is a million, um, that means that there are 94.3 million peaks which fit in one second of time. I actually feel like I've learned so much because I had no idea what FM even stood for, but now I know, frequency modulation. And that's kind of crazy to think about how 94.3 million peaks of a wave fit in one second of time. Like, wow. <laughs> um, okay, so to do a recap of kind of what I've understood from what you've said, is that essentially there's a transmitter and a receiver, and that information is encoded by the transmitter into a sine wave or a wave. And the way that I would, I guess, like to conceptualize this um, is, is that even when I'm recording this podcast with you, I can see how my voice turns into the squiggly line on the device that I'm recording it on. 
and I guess the the this line is the way that the information, which is my voice, has been encoded by that transmitter, and now it will be sent to a receiver, which will then decode that message and allow us to listen to that podcast or music or whatever. Um, and and that's cool. I didn't I didn't know that, but now I know. Um, what's also really cool is that this travels as fast as light, and that again is really really crazy for me to con- conceptualize um but it's very cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah no absolutely it's incredibly cool it's something i still can't wrap my head around um radio waves are just basically electromagnetic waves so they travel as fast as light as you said which is awesome um and it's just incredible that this technology has existed since the end of the 19th century and it's so commonly used you know from like huge antennae to like the tiny ones in our phones and we are basically able to send information through these oscillating waves in the air information is just traveling through the air that's very very awesome now that we've we've talked about a sciencey thing, I want to break break this um, vibe as a transition, a smooth transition. Um, I asked my mom actually what what beauty was to her specifically. What are ways? Um, what are examples of unseen beauty? And I was explaining radio waves and things like that to her, and she was like, "Yeah, radio waves are cool and things, but have you ever thought about youth?" And how you can't see how beautiful youth is because you are young. And I was like, what? Wait, hold up. What do you mean? Can you explain more? And she said, well, every time I'm in a public space and I see young people, whether it's like walking into a subway car or like anywhere really, a market, a supermarket, she was like, there's something so beautiful about young people. It's, it's their youth, you know, it literally radiates off these people they they their smiles like their energy they they don't have to be talking they don't have to be attractive in that sense like they just have to be young and and i was like what mom that's a bit she's like no i don't mean it in a creepy way i just mean that you can't see how beautiful youth is because you are young you always have this energy around you you always like nana you can wear a sack you know, and you would still be beautiful because you are young and that you... And then I thought about it more. And I think the more that time has passed since this conversation, the more I realize how true that is. And again, this is not to be ageist or anything. Like, I think that that even older people are, are beautiful. Like, everyone, human beings as a race, beautiful. But I think the reason that we are talking about this is the context of unseen beauty. We can't see it because we are young. You know, we are we are that beauty. So that was a cool thing to think about. Um, very philosophical, abstract, a bit deep, dark. Um, lots to unpack there. So I want to hear um, the viewers and listeners, listeners actually, um, point of view on this. But um, I know, Sarah, you also wanted to talk about calculus. And I think that's a more logical and scientific aspect of unseen beauty. So I think that would be a good... Um, transition from this more philosophical and abstract thing so tell us more and I think since this is going to be a slightly heavy topic I will ask you questions I will probably have questions and um, you can answer them as we go along yeah absolutely so my second topic is math and before everybody leaves wait it's about calculus specifically um, and I want to take this opportunity to tell you a story 
So once upon a time, there was a civilization in its infancy. They didn't know that time changes with velocity or that radium was even a thing, and sliced bread hadn't even been invented yet. Um, and then one day, Leibniz, I still don't know how to say his name, stumbled upon what would come to be one of the most frequently used and arguably most important form of mathematics. That was when calculus was born. And I think that math and calculus in particular get a reputation of being so complex and intricate and heavy, but let's go back to the root definition. What is calculus? And calculus is just a study of continuous change. That's it. Everything that is dynamic, everything that is moving or changing with time continuously can be understood with calculus from the expansion of the universe to the demand and supply of apples. Um, it is all, it can be understood with this one mathematical tool we have. And so I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce the concept of a limit, because I think when anybody learns calculus for the first time, you begin with the idea of a limit. So let's all take a minute to imagine a number line, right? Um, a number line is just a horizontal line with zero right in the middle. To the left of zero are all the negative numbers, and the smallest number we know is negative infinity. And to the right of zero are all the positive numbers, ending with the largest number we know, which is positive infinity. I know infinity isn't technically a number, but I'm just going to say that. Um, and say you have two friends. So one of them is standing at negative infinity, and the other is standing at positive infinity. And they have one goal to get as close to zero as they can without touching it. As infinitely close, arbitrarily close to that number without actually touching it. So they start walking from both sides. When the, and so the distance between them and zero is that arbitrarily, infinitesimally small distance. And that's why calculus, when it was first created, was called infinitesimal calculus. Um, and that exactly is the idea of the limit. If you call your friends x, that is x approaching zero, or limit as x approaches zero, getting infinitely close to something. But what I find so weird about that is that calculus is arguably one of the most practical fields in mathematics, you know? We use it in engineering all the time, whether we're doing, um, you know, the projectile motion of a ball or fluid flow, we're constantly using it for these real-life things but it rests upon the notion of infinity, one of the most abstract concepts known to mankind. How is that possible? Like, that is such a strange dichotomy to me. Yeah, I had the same question, which is why I wanted to ask you, why do we need limits? So that's a really great question. And I think sometimes, even when we're in math class and we're studying about this, we don't get a proper association or an answer to like, why do we need limits? But let's go back to the definition of calculus. Calculus is the study of continuous change. So if we're observing any event, like kicking a football, we don't want to know at time zero what it was, and then we measure it again at time equals five seconds. No, it's not at discrete intervals, but a continuous path at every infinitely small point, how it is changing. That's why we need limits, to get infinitely close to these points so we can get instantaneous data. And I think it's also important to understand the two different kinds of calculus, differential calculus and in integral calculus. They sound very complicated, they're not. But let's talk about what they are, right? Differential calculus is very easy. It's just understanding rates of change. How 
fast something is changing, right? Like, um, you know, if there's a flower and you nurture it and give it sunlight and water it, it's going to have a high derivative if you were to graph that function because um, its rate of change as it grows from just, you know, a sapling to a bl blossomed flower is very high. Integrals are basically the reverse and someone will kill me, but they're just basically summations. Um, for both of these things, the idea of the limit is so integral to it, right? At every single point, we're trying to measure how it's changing. And it's amazing to me that like, we created this tool which allows us to perfectly mirror the world, a tool resting upon the abstraction of infinity. From kicking a football to growth and decay, we can use calculus, and that's really, really amazing. Um, personally, I fell in love with vector calculus. Vector calculus really is so immediately tied to physics because it deals with vector spaces. And funnily enough, we are living in a vector field right now, that is the gravitational field, and vector calculus just deals in three dimensions of how things behave in vector fields. Um, and it's very cool and it's fun. Um, so that's cool. <laughs> no, I really loved what you said about calculus because I thought of it as in a kind of more abstract perspective where I was like, okay, the idea of getting as close to something as possible. I mean, we do that on a daily basis, right? Like all of us have goals, all of us have these versions of ourselves that we want to be or want to become. And every day we try to do something that brings us closer or as close as possible to that version of ourselves that we want to be. And it's, it's kind of cool to think about that in, in a mathematical perspective, like as X approaches or whatever limits, infinity, all these things, these, they are actual real mathematical concepts that are also amazing philosophical concepts. That being said, um, it, is, it is time for us to shut up and see what other people have to say. Sarah and I have looked all over the web and have tried to find what other people consider hidden or unseen beauties, but we've realized that like not many people talk about this. So we decided to just ask a bunch of our friends. I asked one of my friends and, and she had such an interesting answer on that. So we're gonna let them share what they think in a series of voice notes, as usual with some romantic um, music in the background <laughs> so thank you for listening and we hope that you have an amazing week ahead so this is my story of how I find unheard beauty I've always been fascinated by bridges for a plethora of reasons ever since when I was a child trying to figure out how they were made to building my own miniatures basically I can hear any sound um, and I can tell you what note it is something that stuck with me is this idea of finding music and everything. My favorite instance of this is taking the train from my home in New Jersey to New York. I get to sit in my seat, close my eyes, and just listen to the pattern that the train makes as it goes along the tracks. It's complicated by people's conversations and the conductor, you know, clicking the tickets and, and walking through the train. And it just comes together to form this like this song i feel really lucky to be able to hear this beauty that i think maybe we don't really stop and take the time to think bridges i used to never find them particularly beautiful until someone made me realize it and what emotional effects they have on people who use them every day 
There are carefully thought out bridges that have lasted thousands of years, such as Roman aqueducts, and there are iconic bridges that mean so much more than a passage between two places, but they're also always a junction of engineering and art, and so seldom is a bridge completely devoid of style. But simultaneously, all of their features have to be structurally utilized. They are the simplest and most elegant solution to one of humanity's oldest problems. They are not only a feat of engineering, but incredibly majestic. And I think that is one of the most beautiful harmonies we neglect on a daily basis.